0: My name Dario Hasenstab, I have two degrees in international affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the western bubble. Today, we will analyze the rise of right-wing populism in the West through the lens of the western bubble. Because while western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the western bubble. If you would like to know more about this concept, how this podcast started, or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. Hi, Walder. Why are we speaking about this topic today? Why are we speaking about the rise of right-wing populism? Is there are there some personal feelings we need to <clears throat> we need to discuss first?
1: First of all, Dario, uh, good to be here again. Uh, it is pure statistics, no feelings involved. You see a very clear. Surge in populist movements, specifically right-wing populist movements in Europe, in North America, with Trump and others, of course, the Republican Party in general. And um, lately in um, Argentina, for example, even with um, Millet. This is this has nothing to do with feelings, pure observations. Now, obviously, we have strong observ- feelings about this as well. Where... Uh, It is a sign of changing times, and if you want to be dramatic about it, it could be a canary in the coal mine of the end of the liberal Western bubble, because these right-wing populist movements are actually very dangerous to the liberal democratic establishment that we have. They're very dangerous to the system that we've created through very hard work over the past few hundred years. And they fit nicely in that sense. This conversation fits nicely into... Uh, the previous two conversations we've had about the Roman Empire and how that was on the decline, and people didn't notice it until it was too late, as well as, of course, the episode on Britain from uh, a couple of weeks ago, where you also see this institutional decay being trumped by um, populist leaders no longer respecting basic rules and basic decency.
0: See, this is an interesting human phenomenon because the reason why I Hinted at maybe some personal feelings, and and you, I don't know, if purposefully or or maybe accidentally left it out of or basically spaced it out. Yeah, you you did mention a melee in Argentina, but you did not mention the recent win uh, or the recent success of Gert Wildes, uh, right? A very popular Dutch right-wing populist. I uh,
1: I it, it's still too painful for me to talk about Dario. It is it it, it, it we kind of knew. Um, that uh, he was, his party was going to win or at least was going to do well, let's put it like that. But the way that he won and uh, the enormous amounts, 3 million Dutch people voting for him uh, breaks my heart, even though I haven't lived in the Netherlands for such a long time, it is it is still horrible to see. So yeah, I'm sure that it was a subconscious thing um, because I really
0: would like to pretend that it never happened.
1: And what are the facts?
0: Populism, defined as a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups, has been a defining feature of the 21st century politics. Populist movements have grown in popularity on both sides of the political spectrum in the 21st century and have seen particular success in the far right. This trend started after the Great Recession in the early 2010s with groups such as the Tea Party and the Freedom Caucus forming in the United States, and specifically in 2013 with the founding of the far-right political parties such as Vox in Spain or the Alternative for Germany in Germany. The turning point for these movements was in 2016 with Brexit in the United Kingdom and the election of Trump in the United States. This continued with Marine Le Pen reaching record votes in 2017, the French elections, and continued with far-right parties associated with populist policies across Europe surging throughout the late 2010s. Joe Biden's election victory in 2020, along with electoral defeats in 2021 and 2023 for the Alternative for Germany and Vox, respectively, made it seem like the far-right populist movement had reached fever uh, pitch in the last 2010s. However, in 2023, Polling numbers for right wing populist parties are on the rise, and election results in Italy, Argentina, and the Netherlands show increased participation of right wing populist parties in potential governments.
1: What is the bubble?
0: So, when we talk about the Western bubble perspective, and particularly the bubble perspective of populism, um, there, at least I perceive it in a way, right, that there's an increasingly uh, uh, angry feeling towards the establishment, right? So you feel, I mean, uh, right, my my observation of the world basically dates back to 2010. And I, I personally observed a short surge of right-wing populist parties between right, 2017 and 2019. You had that entire migration talk, particularly within Europe, right? You had the Brexit discussion, you had Trump. And then COVID walked around the corner and you saw kind of that rally around the flag effect of going back to, right, going back to the good old parties because they will know how to deal with these problems. And for me on the inside, I'm not going to lie, this was kind of over, right? I was like, oh, <laughs> lucky us, we dodged a bullet there. No more right-wing populist parties. And in the last year with inflation, with wars happening, um, with overall economic downturn, it seems like that right-wing populist parties are back Uh, back uh, right in the living room and uh, basically sitting next to us on the sofa.
1: Yes, and I would argue that that anger that you mentioned is also very much driven by fear, right? by fear uh, about a society, about the lives of people that no longer seems to be going in the right direction. So there's an awful lot of people right now looking around the world and feeling very uncomfortable by what they're seeing, but they can't really put their finger on where the problem lies. And then you've got these right-wing populist movements more effectively than left-wing populist movements who say uh, the problem is the establishment. The problem is uh, the status quo. Uh, They are out to get you. They are in some kind of conspiracy against you or they don't understand you. They don't understand the the problems you face in life and we're going to solve it for you. And as a result, those people who are fearful, who are angry about... Um, low pensions, increased pension age. Um, who about the possibility of losing their job and all those kinds of aspects that they're worried about? They then move towards those leaders who seem to give simple, clear, obvious, and radical solutions
0: to that problem. Because this is something that is actually happening. People are doing worse than. A few years ago, I mean, I, I still remember. There's right, especially in my early days of university, there were always these these books published, uh, and once a year the news kind of said it, that you know what the world might feel like it's in a terrible place right now, but overall we're doing better, right? Compared to last year, there's I don't know, there's fewer wars. Uh, overall, economic performance is better. Uh, less people are unemployed. So overall, the world is you know on a Hegelian uh, improvement in in that sense but that is really no longer the case i mean gdp's overall are still doing rather well but beyond this uh, other factors mental health social mobility economic health the environment they are not doing particularly well and i think people are starting to feel this
1: yes and i've always been a little bit frustrated with uh, that there's there was this whole sort of industry of positive books right because somehow being positive is be is seen as as um, being constructive, right? If you're negative, if you're critical, you're not being constructive. If you're positive, then you somehow um, are playing a better game. That, that That's sometimes the tone in our society. And there has been this, this industry of books coming out, trying to point out at all the things that are going well. However, for the past 25 years, not just the past few years, the underlying statistics, the underlying um, indicators of social well-being have actually gone down quite significantly in terms of political health, in terms of economic health. GDP has gone up, but we've created a system like, by the way, many societies under decline, just like the Roman Empire in the third century, etc., etc., a system that works well for the top 10% or so or 20% of society who don't notice the downturn yet, But the other 70 or 80% of society are actually lagging behind. They are not sharing in the increased GDP. They're not sharing in the um, political system in the way they used to. Things have actually gone quite badly for large segments of population for the past few decades. And what we see now is that chickens are coming home to roost, right? Um, Now the system is being undermined because of that, because people no longer feel that they are represented by that system. Whereas the, the top in the system, the ones who typically make up the establishment politicians, who make up the business leaders, they are looking around saying, what are you going on about? What are you doing? Life is fine. I, I've got a nice house. I've my, my children go to a good university. People are exaggerating. No, they're not. They are not... St- living in the same world as you are living in and that is a really big problem which uh, right-wing populists in particular have been able to capitalize on.
0: I don't know if you just subconsciously or consciously chose to to use the word feel um, but I think it perfectly captures uh, the spirit of this because right I mean I, I think it's also representative of what I described uh, a few minutes ago In two thousand nine, well, two thousand eight, nine, and eleven, right, with that economic crisis, um, the feeling was very much like, oh yeah, we're seeing videos of people getting laid off, but overall, there wasn't right, there wasn't that rise of populism. There was very much this, I mean, even even look for for global solutions, right? That's when you see the G twenty being established. but the, and, and as you said, the, the economic indicators or, or like the, that actually matter to people, they have been going down for the last 25 years. However, only in the last six, seven years have people started to feel frustrated, to feel like the elites are no longer meeting like, actually their needs. And that's when you see that turn towards populist movements. Um, and obviously, populist mo- movements exist on the left and on the right. Um, that right to, to, to basically get that out of the way. But you see a particular rise of right-wing populist leaders. and the question now is why and particularly in the West, are we right so susceptible to right-wing populist leaders? Because theoretically when everything is going bad economically, I, at least from an intuition uh, perspective, I would say you would want to move towards the the left-wing populace, right? You would want to move towards the ones who say, let's uh, increase taxes on the rich and let's uh, increase social welfare spending because I'm not doing well and this is going to increase, right, my or improve my my personal socioeconomic situation. But for some reason, we in the West now turn towards the right and say, well, you will have the solutions despite, right, and those were always these reports that, Trump is actually hurting Trump voters the most and that these right-wing populist leaders when once they get into power are hurting their own electorate the most. In order to, to to answer that issue
1: I I have to go back to the first thing you said namely there has been absolutely this delayed reaction right it's not uh it's not that populism didn't exist 20 years ago um in 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 in, in fact they they clearly did uh, for example in uh well in the Netherlands, there was already in the 1990s, there was a small populist party, but never had the size of what you see now. Um, then you see that slowly growing to 10% in 2012 and 13% in 2017 when it comes to Wilders' party, for example. And now in the elections, almost a quarter of the population voting for for him. That the late reaction, that's, that now all of a sudden there is this feeling of unease and unhappiness for in such a large segment of the population, shows the original strength of the liberal democratic model. Because liberal democracy at its core promises a lot to people and says, even if you're poor right now, or if you're not doing very well, you still have the future to look forward to. You can still make something out of yourself in the future. And the system is legitimized by that, by the fact that you are part of a ever improving society. And as a result, even though the indicators 10, 15 years ago look bad, people had a delayed reaction because they had something like, well, this is just a bit of a downturn, but in 10, 20 years time, things will be better again. And only now are people starting to notice that things aren't improving. In fact, in an accelerated fashion, things are getting even worse for your average um, person in Western Europe or elsewhere. And so that's why there's that delayed reaction and that then explains the second part of your comments. Namely, it explains why uh, people are turning to right-wing populist parties rather than left-wing populist parties, because right-wing populist parties are basically saying, um, let's destroy that system. Let's throw the system out of the, um, out of the window. It's basically, um, let's uh, start again. Let's get rid of all those uh, nasty ideas about laws and and, and, and the rule of law and and limits to what politicians can do. All those painful things that hold us back. We need to get rid of uh, the elites who have been oppressing us for the past few decades. And in order to do that uh, give me votes and I will protect your interests rather than the interests of the elites. As opposed to the populist left that feels more comfortable with using the system, with using governments to promote its policies, right? That doesn't want to overthrow the entire system. That just wants to strengthen um, governments to be able to deal with climate change, to be able to deal with, um, you know, workers' rights and those kinds of things. So essentially, the in the 21st century, right-wing populism is more revolutionary and that now fulfills the need of a population that has finally discovered that the system is no longer working in their favor. Radical solutions. And I literally, uh, when speaking about this uh, two weeks ago in class, uh, one of my students, after I we were discussing this, said, yeah, but Butter, if you agree that there are significant structural big problems in our society, don't we need radical solutions? And of course, the answer to that is yes. But not any type of radical solution is actually a solution. <laughs> not any type of radical movement actually leads to an improvement. Yes, we need some radical steps to somehow fulfill the dream that our society still has about itself and about the future. But that doesn't mean that you should just do a vote for anyone who promises to throw out a baby with the bathwater.
0: Mm, I... I sometimes like to look back at the history of the alternative for Germany, right? Because that's, I mean, it's it's interesting how they have developed, because they emerged in 2013 um, and they were founded by a bunch of economics professors who were really unhappy with how the European Union had dealt with the economic crisis. They didn't believe that the Euro was was doing uh, a good job for, for Germany and for Europe. And they were very critical of all of that, right? And they were basically a bunch of intellectual economic professors who were just angry and old, right? So that was, that was kind of fun um, because they were also somewhere stuck around three to four percent and it was interesting. Um, and then you suddenly see and I think this is this is how you can uh, describe the delay. Then you have a delay in people's personal economic situation and then you have suddenly an outside factor um, coming in that you can blame for that delay, right? So there's the economic crisis of 2008 very low interest rates your savings are going down because inflation is eating up the savings you're no longer receiving interest rates and now things are no longer going as well ooh what's happening the refugee crisis is emerging um there's an outsider coming and he's threatening he's threatening my wealth my savings are being eaten up by this outsider and suddenly you see the alternative for Germany turning from uh, basically a bunch of uh, professors <laughs> and intellectuals into others who are kind of yeah, you know, basically taking over that party and becoming more migration-critical, I would say. And then suddenly you see them doing really well in the polls and they're moving further and further away from all the economic stuff, right? Most of those professors, I think the majority of the founding members, have now left the party. And now it's basically only migration and everything critical, uh, but doing really well uh, in the polls. And I think this is a very nice example of how you... Went um, away from this process of, oh, we have some right intellectual criticism of uh, the crisis that we believe is going to harm us in the long term. Um, moving on to basically a party that is criticizing a current uh, event and right all the the hardship that people are going through, well, but not caused by that current event, caused by what the economics professors, the intellectuals, have been criticizing uh, years ago.
1: And there's, there's no stronger bubble than fear, right? The moment you, human beings become fearful, they start acting in irrational ways. They, they, they start lashing out. And in order to lash out, you need that insider-outsider model. So in order for those masses to actually start following you, you need to be able to point at the enemy. And the enemy as the establishment is not always easy to get to. It's much easier to go after the immigrants, the foreigners, because they are automatically, by definition, already an outsider. Right. This is also why Wilders has been doing so well, uh, despite his outrageous um, positions on Islam, or I should probably say because of his outrageous uh, position of Islam, because it makes it easier for people to identify that he is one of them. And he's against the outsider, right? So, for example, when he he writes something or he says something like, um, and I'm quoting here, the Quran is a fascist book which incites violence. This is why this book, just like Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, must be banned. The book incites hatred and killing and therefore has no place in our Dutch legal order. End quote. Then that is a quote that is, of course, a horrific statement in itself. It is It is. You know, you could say the same about Christianity. You could say the same about the Old Testament if you wanted to, but why would you? Why would you put an entire religion in that corner and equate them to Hitler? Um, But it is him signaling to his potential voters, I'm with you. I You who are not Islam, you're who are not Muslim, you uh, can count on me to protect you from any evil that's out there. And in many ways, that's a really interesting path Uh, politically for them to take, because it is less complicated than arguing that somehow these other moderate political parties are the enemy.
0: There are right-wing populist parties, and then there's left-wing populist parties. And, I mean, to be honest, left-wing populist parties have also not been doing too bad, right? I mean, we have described this in our past episodes extensively, that the center um, is is getting more and more weakened. Um, That's particularly the middle class. And that the extremes are being strengthened. So here we have the right and the left. Um, why are we doing this episode particularly on right-wing populism and not on left-wing populism? Because you know to, to the left-wing populism they also want some pretty radical stuff. And um, right, I mean, isn't this both equally damaging to to just go away from the center and go towards the extremes?
1: Yes and no. So the yes part to that is that pop the populism in itself. And I should say populism as in genuine populism rather than, for example, Bernie Sanders in the United States calling himself a populist. I don't really, never understood why he calls himself that, but there are some people who like to use the word populism to say, hey, you know what, I've got your back as you know, as if you're a hardworking person and, and all that. And uh, I'm not with the, the rich billionaire class and that kind of thing. That is different, but genuine populism has regardless of left or right has a tendency to become authoritarian how does this work because as a populist leader you're saying masses follow me we're gonna go against the status quo we're gonna overthrow the status quo the status quo is against you and in order for me to, um, uh, to be able to defend your interest, you just need to follow me. You need to be this mass movement, populist movement supporting me. And that has a tendency to lead to damaging outcomes because it leads to a um, lack of respect for basic norms and basic standards, and it has a tendency that the moment that that person becomes the leader of a country or becomes particularly successful, to turn into an authoritarian figure. Um, Chavez in Venezuela, when he, um, you know, had his program in around the year two thousand, that program in itself was not. Automatically authoritarian, but the moment he gets into a position that he can accumulate power He becomes essentially a dictator and his successor Maduro has absolutely no interest in ideology in 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 Perspectives on the future. It is about maintaining power. So populist parties from the left or the right turn into authoritarian systems Very very easily and that is dangerous now what makes the right more dangerous from our perspective, from the Western bubble perspective than the left is that the right uses much more aggressive insider outsider models, uses much more the idea of none of the norms and standards and values that we have in society uh, apply anymore. Take your average populist left-wing party in Europe and they will say, we need to invest a little bit more or a lot more in the environment. We need to um, tax the rich more in order to distribute income to the poor. Those kinds of things. That is the, the left-wing populist agenda. But the right-wing populist agenda is, let's forget about legal systems. Let's change legal systems to, uh, to function in a politically convenient way for us. Let's um, get rid of all the institutions that are holding governments back in, in order to achieve what they want to achieve. Let's essentially undermine the entire system that is required for liberal democracy, because that system is holding me as a right-wing populist leader back. And I don't want that because I need to defend your interest. I need to defend the masses. So whereas the left-wing populism does have a tendency towards authoritarianism, it doesn't overthrow the entire system in the way that right-wing populism does.
0: I think the key word here is philosophy. So if we talk about left-wing populist philosophy versus right wing populist philosophy, the left wing populist philosophy is if you if you look at the program, it's less harmful to society, right? I mean, as you said, there might be uh, some funny funky ideas. Uh, I mean some of them will make sense like, oh, let's uh, increase investment into into I don't know, into the workers' rights, uh, let's increase the minimum wage to very high levels. Let's let's do these other things. There might be some more radical elements, right? I mean, I think particularly in in the European ones, you now have uh, a lot of that. um, Well, or radical or controversial. Let's let's use the word controversial instead of radical. Also for the other side, then Um, you might have um, a bit more focus on right these uh, these gender debates right now and that. um, So so you will have radical, um, sorry, controversial elements there but then on the right wing the controversial elements are right these insider outsider models hardcore capitalism um for some reason a lot of denying of climate change uh, that and uh, because of that uh, extreme uh, insider outsider model you also have that anti-intellectual element almost that anyone who disagrees with us will is unwanted right so you have that banning of books um, that element. So the philosophy between these two is more right. There, the right wing is more damaging. However, as the moment that both of them turn towards authoritarianism, we can say that they're equally damaging because that's right. That that's the problem that we want to avoid from a Western liberal democratic mindset. That it uh, that we aim to strengthen here, rather than right having undermined through the Western bubble or through any of these populist elements.
1: Right, and it's probably useful to distinguish here between different regions um, because the in, in Latin America there has been more of a tendency towards quickly that kind of authoritarianism on both sides, whereas in, whereas in Europe that authoritarianism is relatively new, right, um, because the European populism is new, whereas in Latin America it has existed for a very long time, and um, and uh, there are also differences between countries. For example, Wilders in the Netherlands has been quite clever in not providing too much of a hardcore capitalist image. I am um, saying, hey, we have to take care of the elderly and those kinds of things. And that has, has given him a lot of votes as well. But this denial of a system around you and this denial of reality in many ways, the denial of your own limits is something that is very specific to populist right-wingers and in this you, you could look at trump or you could look at the british um, uh, movements that we discussed in the previous episodes uh, where essentially whenever the system tries to fight back the system becomes the enemy right for trump so trump now legally is in in is in a significant fight with the american legal system um boris johnson was Uh, told by the British Supreme Court that he had broken the law. Instead of saying, I'm a responsible politician, I'm resigning. I might disagree with the Supreme Court, but I I respect the fact that I'm part of a system and I need to follow that system in order to keep my country strong. The the, the, the Tories started fighting the system. They started trying to change the system. Um, When uh, report after report from select committees in Britain came out saying uh, the government has been unethical, this was being basically completely ignored by the tory establishment that kind of behavior ignoring the system that limits you and trying to essentially put yourself above the system is something that is particular to the um to the populist right. that doesn't mean that the left has never done it but it is less structural in the on the left side. And it is more structural in, the, in this new wave of populist right-wing leaders, where they're happily trying to change the constitution, happily uh, ignore being admonished by the Justice Department, happily ignore experts and scientists telling them that um, they're making a mistake, instead pushing blindly
0: for their own political agenda.
1: What's the international relations
0: context? Looking at the international relations perspective, um, why does why does the West kind of turning inwards, turning towards right wing populism matter? Because in line with what we've discussed in previous episodes, that's good for the world. If the West is no longer as outward looking and as aggressive, uh, right on the global stage, particularly in its foreign policy, that's good. For the world. But are there also problems attached to this when the West is basically turning away from what it used to look at and more going towards that right wing, maybe even authoritarian type of way?
1: Well, yes, the first the first observation is just that it's gonna change international relations, regardless of whether it's good or bad. But over the past 80 years, the West has been trying to establish a universal model of human rights, international law, certain values, liberalism, capitalism, all those kinds of things. And that is losing steam because of the inner changes within Western society, because of populism's, populist leaders rejecting that kind of globalized outlook. So that is just an observation that things are going to change, not necessarily for better or worse, but the global environment is going to be different because it no longer has this Western driver trying to push for those specific Western universal values. In itself, as you, exactly as you pointed out, um, it's not a bad thing for the West to take a step back and to be less proactive on the global stage. The problem is that these right-wing populist leaders are actually taking the worst of the West and forgetting about the best of the West, right? So they're essentially still dependent on the internal arrogance uh, that exists within the West. The, the biases that lead to the Western bubble, they're still there in terms of Judeo-Christian culture being somehow supposedly superior to other cultures, certainly to Islam, and uh, you know the, this whole narrative about we, we are the ones who... Um, are more sophisticated, more advanced than everyone else, and we know what's right and wrong. Um, And at the same time, you've got uh, them uh, saying, and now we are going to fight back. We're going to stand for our own interests. We're going to defend those values that we have that are clearly superior to everyone else's values, and we will not apologize for it anymore. So, yes, they're no longer trying to push for that tradi- traditional democratic liberal, liberal model, uh, which means that they're not going to push for human rights and international law anymore. The world is becoming more anarchical. But at the same time, they're going to now push for a very aggressive stance when it comes to non-Western culture, non-Western identity. They're going to be much more aggressive towards um, the, China, towards um, other regimes that, that they reject from their cultural perspective. And that is, of course, very dangerous. So an anarchical system where you still have a West that is very angry with itself and with the rest of the world is probably more dangerous than a system that is maybe neo-colonial in nature, but at least tries to push for certain limits and certain rules on everyone.
0: And can you explain to our listeners what is the problem? See, this is... I'm already very much talking about problems and very much talking about the damage, right? So one of these problems that there is with right-wing uh, populism, right, becoming so big in the West and some of these leaders also getting into power in different governments is that they will be maybe more aggressive in a different way on the global stage, as you just said, right? It's not in that Western bubble type of way that we, uh, we keep on talking about, but it's maybe in that... More anti-type uh, of thinking, more inward-outward thinking. Let's then go back to the domestic uh, front for for a moment. So, what's the problem with right-wing populist leaders getting elected here? I mean, we already discussed that right-wing populist uh, philosophy is more damaging than left-wing populist philosophy. So, I I assume that that will have something to do with it, right? That we are further eroding the the basics and the principles that make liberal Western democracy so strong.
1: Yeah, so this movement, this populist movement, is there are differences, like we said, that Dutch populism is not the same as Argentinian populism, it's not the same as Spanish or German populism, but what they all have in common is they're saying to their voters, to their electorate, to the masses, uh, we will overthrow the system. And the moment that you say that, the moment you say, we will overthrow the system, we're going to do things completely differently. We're going to change the constitution. We're going to change the way that the legal system works. We're going to change the way that um, politics works is the moment that you put yourself above the rule of law. And that basically means that you have for a significant period of time, if you get voted in, essentially unbridled power because you... Your voters do not expect you to follow the basic criteria that we've had over the past 80 years. Your voters do not expect you to take responsibility in the way that maybe 30, 40 years ago people took responsibility because they know that you are there to overthrow the system, to to do things completely differently. And that means that we're going to go through a very difficult and dark period where unless... You somehow believe that someone like Wilders or uh, Millet or Trump or anyone like that um, is capable, is is so intellectual, intellectually and psychologically strong that they're capable of resisting pressures. We're gonna move into a situation where their own internal corruption is now gonna spread through the system without those checks and balances. That typ- typical typically exist within liberal democracy, um, they're going to do that while at the same time implementing anti-intellectual, um, anti-humanist uh, programs um, that are going to uh, typically going to deny climate change that are going to deny uh, the. ...reality of other religions that are going to deny the fact that their culture is not the only culture that uh, deserves existence in, in, in the global sphere. And that should scare all of us, um, even if you're critical of uh, capitalist liberal democracy, a certain a basic level of humanism surely is what binds us together and that gets thrown out of the window... And they're allowed to throw it out of the window because their electorate almost expects it from them. And what now?
0: When we're looking into the future, right? I, I sometimes sometimes think we're a bit too pessimistic in the previous section, right? When we're talking about what the problem is, um, is is this really all that bad, right? This right wing populism. I mean, again, I'm, I can only look back at about thirteen years of looking at at politics, um, but right. Trump got elected, we survived Trump. Uh, Boris Johnson got elected, we survived Boris Johnson. Bolsonaro got elected, we survived Bolsonaro. Right now you see uh, Meloni in Italy who got into power and right, it was she was really radical during her campaign. And then uh, after her first trip to Brussels, uh, very quickly, the system, right, the establishment kind of got her back in, in, in checks and balances. Um, you you did see that in in Poland right uh, these these right wing populists they kind of tried to uh, they they did exactly what 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 we've been warning here from right they've they've basically undermined the judicial system they tried to replace judges with judges that are more favorable to them and now they were voted out by the people and a different government is going to get into power. Um, isn't this maybe a bit too alarmist Uh, from, from right from I don't know the media from people who are maybe more on the left uh, for people who are in the center and concerned about the center is not it maybe too alarmist to kind of warn from these right-wing populist leaders so much because a- a- apart from like right January, uh, um, January 6th um I haven't really seen any Super bad damage done to any of the of the Western liberal democracies.
1: Yeah, and January six was over overhyped, right? From a liberal perspective, perspective. I mean, of course, it sh- should be taken seriously, but the way that people obsessed with what happened on January six, as if, is if somehow the United States was close to losing its democratic liberal system on that day, which is of course insanity. I mean, it was just a, a rowdy mob who should never have been there. And it's good that they got arrested and they, they caused destruction and they killed someone. And that's about it, right? So the, the answer to your question, once again, is a yes and a no. Yes, we sometimes exaggerate the short-term impact. Uh, Trump was president for four years and the United States is still a liberal democracy. Um, there's ab- Absolutely, of course. It shows something about the strength of the liberal institutions that were built up over the past centuries, right? They are strong and capable of withstanding quite an assault on the rule of law and all that. But the answer is also no, to the extent that even though in the short term the world may seem to continue as it always has, the incremental change that occurs, the moving of red lines um, towards an authoritarian regime is very clearly there. The fact that governments in Britain and elsewhere no longer feel that they need to take the institutions around them seriously that are trying to basically fight the institutions. The, the small changes in laws, the, the small changes in our attitudes towards judges, towards the legal system in general, our small um, change in attitudes towards each other within society. the the more aggressive nature that we perceive in society, the the lack of basic kindness towards the other sides, towards the other political movements that's out there. Uh, All those small gradual changes mean that over time we are moving towards that authoritarian and I would even argue dystopian scenario. It can be stopped, but right now there are no signs that we're stopping it. In fact, we're accelerating it. And in order to stop it, you need to once again, go back to that intellectualism. You need to understand what society is all about and that there's something more important than your specific political agenda. You and I can argue as much as we like about climate change, whether it's real or not, etc. but none of that matters if we don't value the system above the debate more, if we don't value the basic political standards and norms that are out there. The the basic respect for the rule of law, the basic respect for each other. And unfortunately, what you see is that the world is becoming much more about the political debate and much less about strengthening and upholding those very fundamental institutions. So yes, um, Wilders, it's not clear whether he's going to be prime minister or not, but I'm sure that once uh, his government is done, at some point, the Netherlands will still be uh, roughly the Netherlands as we know it today, but damage will have been done in the period in between.
0: This this moving of the red lines, uh, I think, we also very well uh, described in the in the episode on the United Kingdom, right, where we did this with with party politics in how do we see the Republicans in the United States or the Tories in the UK? Uh, how how are they so much more extreme now than they were thirty years ago, right? And we described this, I think, uh, very well, and I encourage our listeners to listen to the episode if you haven't already and the same right formula applies to the moving of red lines in politics in general right i mean voting for trump in 2016 was a surprise but if you look at the type of senators that are now in the united states senate or or the house of uh, house of representatives they are worse than what trump was in 2016 and this has become normalized to a certain extent right so this moving of red lines of I mean, I don't know, once in a while shouting in Parliament, uh, shouting an insult at the other side, and it got sanctioned. And now it's there's so much shouting and insulting that it cannot really get sanctioned at all. And it just increases. And what you said that um, the system overall is not being valued anymore. And it's uh, continuously undermined. It's this disregard for basic norms and ethics.
1: Exactly. And that is very hard to put your finger on. But the moment that that very first person in Congress shouts an insult, They will be admonished for it, they will be criticized, but at that moment they have opened the space for everyone else to occupy. And the moment a minister or a department, a government department has done something wrong, civil servants working for a minister have done something wrong. The very first time that that minister doesn't take responsibility and resigns, that minister will be criticized. But over time, nobody expects the minister to resign anymore. Nobody expects the secretary of state to be responsible anymore. And that is exactly what we've we what we've created. Report after report, criticizing governments gets thrown into the bin because nobody cares anymore. Legal ruling after legal ruling admonishes governments for their behavior. Governments completely ignore them over and over again. And this has been the case in the Netherlands, in Britain and elsewhere. The Dutch government for the past 15 years has continuously ignored their own failure, has not uh, taken responsibility, has not resigned. And now... They have created a space in which that is normal and populist leaders can jump into that. We have forgotten that there is something more important than politics that is namely the system that holds our society together. And in order to strengthen that system, we need to go back to a world where intellectualism and long-term complex thinking gets valued over short-term
0: shouting. This seems like a great moment to end today's conversation on the rise of right-wing populism in the West. If you have any questions, comments, or regards, make sure to send us an email to thewesternbubble at gmail.com, and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes. Thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today. Make sure to join us again next week when we burst the Western Bubble. That is it from my side, Balder. Which closing quote did you pick for us today?
1: Well, we were actually talking uh, before recording about oh, George Orwell, or should we quote a, uh, another author that has written about the dangers of authoritarianism, the, the dangers of populism. But very much in line with the world that we live in today, 21st century, we don't really want to quote from books, because nobody reads books anymore. So let's quote from a film, namely Star Wars, where Senator Padme Amidala, who was played by Natalie Portman, says so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause <music>